Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. Check out our website at newstantonchurch.com where you can find out how to join our live stream at 901 on Sunday mornings. Now let's prepare our hearts for the word that we're about to receive. All right, well, this is week three in the series Culture Shift. And we're talking about the need to let God work and make adjustments in our lives so we can stay on track with his plan. If we want to change the culture around us, that starts with us allowing God to change us. The truth is, everyone, everyone tends to drift and veer off course occasionally. When you start to drift, it's always better to adjust now rather than someday or one day. Did you know that while walking through the woods, the vast majority of people cannot walk a straight line? If you're not following the sun or the moon on a cloudy day, the vast majority of people find it almost impossible. In fact, I found a study this week that took four volunteers on a cloudy day and had them walk through the woods, and that the patch of woods was a section they had never walked through before. They repeatedly went in circles, sometimes as soon as every 10 minutes. Now, the funny thing about the study was the people walking through the woods going in circles didn't believe they were walking in circles even when someone showed them their GPS track that they were walking in circles. That will preach because life can be like that. If you are not following the sun, you can wander off course. In fact, you can wander off course even really without knowing it. It's hard to believe, but it happens because you take one small step and then another and another and another. In your life, it can look something like, you know what, you start to question the Word of God. And then maybe you get out of the habit of going to church every week. Maybe you stop going to your connect group and fellowshipping with other believers who hold you accountable, and you start to make small compromises in your character and how you live, until one day you look around at where you're at in life, and you think, how did I get here? I I I don't recognize any of this. My My life used to be so much different. When did all this happen? I remember I was hunting with my dad one year, years ago, in Cory, Pennsylvania, and I confidently told him that I was going to take a loop and push some deer. And dad gave me his customary, be safe, don't go too far. And I thought, but I, I didn't say, we have hunted this piece of property since I was 14 years old. I know where I am going. I got so twisted. I I remember coming to the edge of this field and looking at the woods in the distance and thinking, I have no idea where I am. Nothing looked familiar. I panicked. I was lost. Have you ever felt that way in life? What do I do now? 
Where, where do I go from here? Thank God there was enough little patches of snow left that day because it was warming up that I had actually walked through intentionally because I just like snow, that I was able to basically retrace my steps following dad by looking for the little patches of snow that I might have put a boot track in. As I was heading back to where I hoped dad was, I remember yelling, dad, dad. I was scared. I had never been lost in the woods before. I was so relieved when I heard him whistle. Uh, He always whistles because I have two hearing aids and he knows I can't hear him if he says, over here. That day was a lesson in humility for me for sure. Proverbs says, pride comes before the fall. I'm glad I made it back before nightfall. Last week, as we looked at Luke 18, we saw that God shows unlimited grace for those who admit their sin. The tax collector, not the Pharisee, went home justified and right with God. But I want to go back to Luke chapter 18 and dig a little bit deeper because there's another lesson in this parable. We need to lean into humility and guard against drifting towards spiritual pride. So let's look at Luke 18, 9 through 14 again. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want you to notice and see in that parable that doing the right thing wasn't the Pharisee's problem. In fact, doing the right thing is never the problem. No one will ever say to you, oh, oh, you fast and pray. That's terrible. Or you don't cheat. I don't want to do business with you then. Or you're faithful to your spouse. Well, We can't be friends because I usually look for people with a little moral flexibility. Nobody will ever tell you those things because doing the right thing is never the problem. The problem in the story was the Pharisee's great confidence in his own righteousness and his scorn for the tax collector. It was his pride. He thought He was right with God because of what he was doing. And he looked down on that tax collector because of the tax collector's sin. Now, I also want you to know that 
It's not a sin to call sin, sin. We have an aversion to calling sin out in our culture. But honestly, sometimes the most loving thing you will ever do for somebody that you care about is telling them that what they're doing is wrong. You know, hey, I love you, but that's not right. You're going you're gonna to get hurt. You're going to hurt somebody else. It wasn't that this tax collector was like all good with God because he was robbing people while collecting taxes. No, the, the assumption in Jesus' parable is because of his repentance and his spirit, he was going to stop robbing people. Sort of like Zacchaeus, the wee little man from Luke chapter 19, the very next chapter. But the Pharisee took it one step farther than just calling sin, sin, right? He, he had ill feelings, disgust. The NIV says scorn in his heart as he looked at that tax collector that God loved. Here's a great question. What should the Pharisee have felt instead? What should we feel as we look at sinners? Maybe compassion? Sympathy? Even the desire maybe to help a sinner see the error of their ways and experience the forgiveness of God. But the Pharisee didn't feel any of those things. He just looked down on the tax collector with disgust. The thing about being in a relationship with God is you can't separate your relationship with him from your relationship with other people. I'm going to say that again because that's good preaching. You can write amen in the comment section if you want to. The thing about being in a relationship with God is you cannot separate your relationship with God from your relationship with other people. It's Mark 12, 30 and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Loving God means loving people as God loves them. We all tend to drift. All of us have strayed. Have you ever struggled with this kind of spiritual pride? I have. Have you ever been tempted to judge someone and write them off, wanting them to experience God's judgment instead of God's Blessing and forgiveness. I have. The Pharisee had a list of people he was thankful he wasn't like and was disgusted by, but had no love for. God expects us to be hopeful about sinners coming to Jesus and finding the same forgiveness that we have experienced through his grace. Dennis Kinnaman wrote a book years ago called Unchristian. He was part of the Barna Group. And the premise of the book Unchristian is that Christians have not thought, lived, or behaved as Jesus would in our own culture. And he says, we, the, the church, have become unchristian. Ouch. That, that hurts. And he argues that, that we have drifted and wandered so much, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, from the heart of God. His research 
showed that non-Christians know Christians for our lists of people and actions that we feel God is disgusted by. It's a powerful read aimed at a culture shift to recapture the love and truth of Jesus. I want to look at a couple of things that the Pharisee in Jesus' story did that I think missed the example of Jesus for us. They're, they're wanderings that we need to guard against as we relate to people in our culture that don't know Jesus. The first, the Pharisee stood at a distance. Man, that is so unlike Jesus. Jesus was always going to the sick. He was touching the leper. He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. He did not stay at a distance. He was shining the light into the darkness, not closing the door, keep, keeping people in the dark. He was Emmanuel, God with us. I can't tell you how this shift looks in your life and in your world and your daily routine. But we, church, need to be around sinners. We need to be the light in the darkness. How can people hear the word unless someone tells them? How can they know the love of God unless it's through us and our actions? How can they come to Jesus unless someone goes to where they are? The second mistake the Pharisee made was thinking that his actions were a gift to God instead of seeing his righteousness as a blessing from God. Let me flesh that out a little bit. Some people even come to church and feel like God and, and everyone else should be impressed that they showed up and did something good. They feel like their righteous actions are a gift to God. Hey, hey, everybody, I, I, I made it to church today. Uh, it, my, my presence is a gift to God. God, here, here. Go ahead and pat me on the back, too. You know, you're welcome. I know you're impressed that I came and showed up to worship. The Pharisee is full, so full of his actions of righteousness that there's no room for God in his life. But compare that with the humble attitude of the tax collector because he got it right. The tax collector didn't barge into God's presence and say, hey, I'm here. Look at me. I'm so great. Jesus says this man was so aware of his own failures, his own shortcomings, that he couldn't even look towards heaven. He literally beat his chest and pleaded for mercy. The tax collector. The tax collector knew that if God didn't show him mercy, he wasn't going to make it. I want to jump ahead to Luke 19 for a moment. And this is the story of Zacchaeus. And this isn't a parable. And it perfectly illustrates what Jesus is talking about. And maybe, maybe Zacchaeus heard this parable and then thought, this guy is talking to me. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. 
And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. There it is. Do you see it? Zacchaeus didn't view his actions as a gift to God. It was in response to the love of Jesus and the acceptance of Jesus shining the light into the darkness, of him hanging out with a notorious sinner. His actions were an offering from experiencing the mercy of Jesus. In Jesus' parable, the tax collector's heart condition, that was the problem in the Pharisee that the tax collector didn't have. He was humble. And he went home justified and right before God that day. I can tell you from personal experience that it is really, really hard if you struggle with pride to adjust course. Humility is often a lesson that is taught through pain, embarrassing situations, and having your pride exposed. When Lisa and I were young parents, I thought we were parental experts. Jared was a great baby. He was happy. He slept well. He ate well. He listened well. I thought we were the best parents in the whole world. I honestly looked at parents that had issues with any of the above and thought, you're doing something wrong. Let me give you some parenting advice because my kid is great and I'm doing a great job because my kid would never do what your kid is doing. And your kid is probably going to end up in jail because you're doing something wrong. And then we had the twins. (laughs) And all those delusions of being a great parent went through the window. So there's your parenting advice for the week. If you have been blessed with a child that sleeps and eats and all those good things, be thankful because God, y'all, has a sense of humor. It almost felt like God had been listening in on my thoughts and conversations and said, oh, you you think you're all that? Well, we'll see once the twins come along. Now I'm actually thankful because I would have been the most prideful dad ever. It was painful to have my pride bubble burst. But I'm telling you, God is still seeing fit to keep me humble. But it's a good thing. It gives you compassion. It allows you to walk with someone instead of standing in judgment over them. I now occasionally steal the phrase I've heard my father use when somebody says, hey, how you doing? His answer sometimes is, better than I deserve. Amen. That's the truth. Do you know it? Do you believe it? Thank God that he doesn't treat us as we deserve. He shows us mercy. The tax collector got it. Have mercy on me. Pharisee didn't, at least yet. Thank you, God, that I'm not like all these other people. Humility is one of those lessons you either embrace because you're aware that God's favor is more than you deserve, or it's a lesson you eventually learn 
the hard way. Those who understand that God's grace and mercy live in them with thankful hearts are in the perfect place to show other people Jesus. In fact, it's those folks who will help us grow to a worshiping congregation of 651 people because they know that it's not about 651. It's about the next one, the next one that God will use you as you humbly reach and speak the truth in love to them. Through humility, we can bring God glory by loving and pointing people to Jesus. Pride will only lead us to try to bring glory to ourselves and looking for a pat on the back from God and others. I want to close with this verse from Proverbs 29, 23. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Let's pray together. God, we want to humble ourselves before you. We want to do that intentionally, knowing the sin of our past, the sins we commit, God, seeking your mercy and your grace this morning. We, we want to take a moment and just get our bearings and look, God, where we can walk and lean into your plan for our lives. We, we confess our pride and for standing in judgment over others in whatever way, God, that we're tempted to do that. Help us to tell people the truth in love. Doing the right thing is never the problem. But God, in humility, help us to have such love and gratitude for you and others that people see your light in us. God, bring, bring to mind, even right now, one person one person that we know is living in a life of sin that's wandered, that's drifted. And first, God, help us pray that you would increase our love for them. Then, God, give us the opportunity to express that love and concern. And we pray for their heart to be open, to come back to you, to your plan of blessing and hope so that we can take over the world, God, with the love of your Son. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church Podcast. We'd love to connect with you. So visit our website at newstantonchurch.com, follow the Get Involved tab, and RSVP to our next meet and greet.